Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on the show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the show to everyone in the United States and around the world. And special shout out to Yoshiko. Yoshiko Dart, I think about you all the time. And you know, I do this and have for years because I want everyone to remember our history. Justin Dart, people that have been vital leaders for us. Everyone seems to not not realize that we need more history in schools, disability history. So I'll do my part, though, Yoshiko. I'll do mine. And also, hello, Richard Roberts in Brazil. Richard is my friend with the State Department. Actually, I'll be seeing him later this year. Uh, He is just an awesome person. I first met him when I went to South Korea uh, with Mary. And then when he went to Japan, I saw him there. And he is just the most wonderful person. And guess what? They're going to be on my radio show next week from Brazil. Don't miss that show. That is an awesome show. Um, And Ganyang in South Korea, Benjamin in Kazakhstan, Cheryl Harris at the U.S. State Department. I've got to tell you, they're all working with me to spread the news of quality of life for people living with disabilities around the world. Well, you know what? Like, I have a superstar. I know he's already smiling. I know it. I don't even have to see him. I know he's smiling uh, because he's saying, why is she doing this? But I have a superstar on the show today. And really, truly, he doesn't know this. But when I first met him, oh, way, way back, way back in time. And someone said to me, oh, there's Ted Kennedy. I was so nervous to say hello. And I just remember what he said to me. I like you because you find jobs for people. I like it that you're a business. And when I left, I was all, oh, I was so overwhelmed, but I was so nervous. And here I am so blessed today to say I have as my friend, Ted Kennedy Jr., partner at Epstein, Becker, and Green, but a true international disability rights leader that I love, and so does all of us. We all do in the disability community and beyond. Ted, welcome to the show. Hello, Joyce. Uh, Thank you so much for having me on your show once again. I know you've been doing this program for a long time now, and I think it's great that Voice of America uh, and other organizations, uh, you know, uh, think enough about the power, the potential, the influence, and, uh, you know, importance of the disability community to give you some airtime where we can talk about, you know, what the key issues are that face uh, disability, uh, people with disabilities here in the United States and around the world. Yes, thank you. And Ted, this is this year, thanks to my listeners and my sponsor, Highmark, this is the 20th anniversary of Disability Matters with Choice Bender that is just so hard for me to believe. Uh, but you're right about Voice America. 20 years. I've been talking about disability 20 years, so you're right, and I I appreciate them. I appreciate my listeners, or I wouldn't have been here 20 years, and great sponsors like Highmark and great guests like you. And I have to mention that from China to Australia, we have so many countries, China with significant listeners. Uh, around the world, and I want you to know you're part of this also. So, Ted, I have to tell you, like, your name is very well known, okay? The Kennedy name is very well known, as I know you know. 
But for everyone, not just in the United States, but for the 17 countries around the world with listening audiences, I know your family has always been supportive of the disability community. Would you mind telling that story to our listeners, you know, why and how it got started and what happened after that? Well, sure, Joyce. You know, you know, you and I have worked together for many, many years um, in the cause of disability rights and justice here in the United States through our board service on the American Association of Pe- People with Disabilities and on numerous other initiatives. And, you know, I came to this uh, to these issues, to this community um, when I was 12 years old um, I was diagnosed with a rare form of bone cancer uh, in my leg and uh, had to have my right leg amputated above the knee when I was 12. And so instantaneously became a member of the disability community. But um, and we can talk about that in a minute. But I think your question was, you know, why is this cause the cause of disability rights? been really the driving movement behind the Kennedy family for 50, 60 years. Um, Many people know, many of your listeners know of my family's involvement in the creation of Special Olympics. Now, of course, a global worldwide uh, movement uh, among for athletes with intellectual disabilities and volunteers and so much more than sports. It's a it's an organization that uh, promotes health care, jobs, dignity, equality for many of the most marginalized people in our world. Um, but that was really sparked by um, my, my aunt Rosemary. My, my father's sister, Rosemary, uh, was born with an intellectual disability and really, um, you know, focused my family's attention on how people with disabilities are just persistently neglected and isolated. And back then, when Rosemary um, was born, um, there were very, very few opportunities for people with intellectual disabilities. In fact, most um, uh, people in the medical community told parents, you know, just put your kid in an institution. That's the best thing for them. And um, that was the recommendation, actually, of the medical community at the time. But my grandparents insisted that she be raised alongside her brothers and sisters and have a a normal life as possible. But that also uh, uh, brought uh, my family members, um, you know, really got them involved about the issues that so many families face. and uh, and when when my uncle, uh, President John F. Kennedy, became president, he convened the first ever um, president's uh, a, a council a seminar on mental retardation. That's what it was called then. Of course, you know, the language has evolved and language has changed over time. But that was the first time that a president of the United States talked openly about his family or her family member with a disability. And, um, and that really was something that he cared a lot about. My uncle Jack, my aunt Eunice Kennedy Shriver, of course, created the special Olympics. My uncle Bobby was of course the great crusader for civil rights. And then of course, my father, the late Senator Edward Kennedy, um, also made disability equality, equality and inclusion um, one of his signature issues and, of course, was the primary Senate sponsor for the Americans with Disabilities Act, among many, many other um, laws in the United States, the Education for All Handicapped Children Act, now called IDEA, was also something that my father worked on. Um, you know, finally, in 1975, um, you know, creating a right, uh, uh, a, a right for all children with disabilities to a free public school education in the United States of America. Until 1975, children with disabilities did not 
have the right to uh, an education in the United States of America. So, you know, um, and now, you know, so too it is that I've made this the, the, the cause of my life. Um, you know, at the time that I lost my leg, of course, I thought my life was over and all. I just remember thinking all the things that I wouldn't be able to do anymore and et cetera. But little did I realize the, that it gave me a sense of purpose and strength and energy that I now have made my life's work. And I, I really appreciate you having me on the show so we can talk about the, some of the unfinished business of the disability rights movement. Yes, well, it's, it's wonderful to have you. Well, I mean, your family, awesome. I know your father, once I got involved in the disability rights community, anytime an issue came up, I could still hear whether it was Pat Wright or Judy Human saying, we have to call Senator Kennedy. Always. He was the go-to person. So your family has made that uh, a, a real backbone of their family's mission. There's no question about that. Um, and today, you do work in the legal area. What do you do in addition to the many <clears throat> millions of other things you do? What, what is well, your you know, day um, job? I've, uh, <laughs> um, uh, there's, there's a number of different issues that I'm working on right now, uh, Joyce. As you know, you know, my main job is as a healthcare lawyer at the law firm of Epstein Becker Green. And we're one of the leading healthcare focused law firms in the United States, focused really exclusively on clients in the healthcare industry. And so um, I do that. Uh, that's my significant portion of my time, my day, my efforts are, are focused on helping companies, helping hospitals, post acute care, biotechnology companies, other navigate the complex web of regulations and laws pertaining to health to health care. Um, but as you know, um, I also spend a tremendous amount of my time on some of my nonprofit work, including, you know, as the immediate past board chair of the American Association of People with Disabilities and current board member, you and I serve on that board together. And you know that AAPD is now one of the leading uh, civil rights organizations for people with disabilities in the United States whose influence is really felt around the world. Um, I also am um, uh, the co-chair of an initiative called the Disability Equality Index, and hopefully we'll have a chance to talk about that as well on this program. The Disability Equality Index is now the leading corporate benchmarking tool for disability equality and, and inclusion. So I'm currently working with over 400 leading organizations. Many are global um, or companies who have made disability inclusion a part of their strategic business imperatives because they know that including people with disabilities actually strengthens organizations and makes them more sustainable and more profitable. And then I'm also um, leading an effort to try to make disability inclusion the next chapter of ESG, corporate social responsibility. You know, we've heard a lot in, um, in recent years about the importance of uh, a diverse workforce, diversity in all aspects of American life. And while, of course, it's important to think about racial and ethnic and gender identity and other types of diversity, I want to make sure that we don't forget about individuals with disabilities, because individuals with disabilities are the largest minority group in the United States of America. And people with disabilities have faced unspeakable uh, horrors and barriers and so much misunderstanding and stereotypes. Um, that they should also be part of this national, indeed international, conversation on diversity and inclusion um, and holding companies, because companies uh, play an important role in the creation of a more just and equitable society. And when we can harness the strength of the marketplace through, you know, ESG initiatives and others focusing on disability inclusion, we can finally address the incredible um, uh, disproportionate 
labor force participation for people with disabilities. Yeah, you know, even when you were talking before about up until 1975, they could tell a child with a disability that, you know, you can't go to this school. It, when you said that, it makes me think, wow, I mean, this, this has been a deep-seated stigma with people with disabilities that I feel contributes to this high unemployment. And I've talked about it. You've talked about it. Everyone talks about it. Uh, but I don't believe that that has as much of an impact as what you're talking about. And I want to tell you, listeners, I remember before Ted became the chair of AAPD, he called me and he told me, Joyce, this is what I think I'm going to do, which I was thrilled. But he also brought up about money, investment, and how it has an impact, the profits on, on companies. And that, of course, if we could connect that, that would speak louder than anything that we would ever say. And of course, he was right when he said that. Uh, but going back to the very beginning, Ted, uh, first you went to Accenture. You want to tell that story? What happened? Yes. Well, Accenture is one of our leading corporate partners in the area of disability equality and inclusion. And there's there's many companies who are doing an exemplary job to ensure that people with disabilities have an equal shot and they're uh, at getting a job at participating in their corporations. And Accenture is one, but it's one of one of the leaders. And I invite your listeners to go on to the Disability Equality Index, to Google the Disability Equality Index, and see the list of companies that are um, are now um, among the leading companies in the world for hiring, promoting, and, uh, ex and enhancing disability equality and inclusion. You know, the reason why um, we focus so much on the area of employment, and of course that's your uh, area that you are now, you know, a worldwide expert on, uh, you know, competitive employment for individuals with disabilities, is because despite, you know, 30 years of progress of the Americans with Disabilities Act, we have made progress in alleviating a lot of the architectural barriers, the curb cuts, the elevators, and so forth. But one area that we have not been successful at, um, in fact, where the ADA has failed to live up to its promise, is in the area of uh, employment and labor force participation, because you know that we have moved the needle very little, if at all, um, compared to 30 years ago. The number of people, the percentage of people with individuals who are able and willing to work still cannot get a job. Um, and it was so that is why we need to focus on that issue, because without uh, when you give somebody a a job, you give them their freedom. You know that. You say that all the time, Joyce. Yet, for many people, they just cannot support themselves financially. They cannot participate, and they want to. Um, and so we knew that from anecdotal evidence and other studies that, um, that contrary to a lot of uh, thinking, that people with disabilities um, – actually provided greater profitability and greater sustainability. And, but we needed proof of, of that. So we engaged Accenture, who undertook this massive assignment to look at the Disability Equality Index and compare the companies that were a part of that and who had made a commitment to disability hiring and inclusion to those companies that had not. And they, they analyzed this over a period of years, and what did they find? They found that the companies that led on disability equality actually outperformed their peers. 30% higher profitability, uh, much higher um, revenues, four times more likely to outperform their peers in terms of total shareholder return over time. So, so this was uh, evidence, if you will, 
of the vast power and and try to debunk the myths that if you have hire somebody with a disability that they somehow can't do the job. They can't perform at the same level as an able-bodied counterpart. And we turned that whole, um, of those, all those arguments on their head. And it was through this uh, Accenture report called Getting to Equal, the Disability Inclusion Advantage. So um, we took that report and, of course, ran around the world with that report and most importantly, made that the basis, the foundation of our effort to make disability inclusion a part of this whole conversation on ESG investing. Because finally, we had the proof that hiring people with disabilities actually made increased your performance as a company. And it was with that report that we went to many of the global um, largest institutional investors in the world. And we have many global investors, but we have a lot of the U.S. pension plans from the state of Hawaii to CalSTRS to Oregon, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Massachusetts, New York, Vermont. The list goes on and on. These large pension plans are have now signed uh, what's called the Joint Investor Statement on Disability Equality, harnessing their power as the leading shareholders in the world. We have many faith-based organizations. We have many international organizations as well, including TD Bank, to our neighbors to the north in Canada, to uh, asset managers in the Netherlands and Australia and around the world. And what are these asset managers saying? They're saying that as shareholders in your company, we want to know what are you doing to advance disability equality, not because it's the right thing to do, which of course it is, but because disability equality actually enhances financial performance over time. Oh, and I mean, that is so awesome. Ted, for all of our listeners, would you explain to them uh, first, what the ESG is, and then what is the Disability Equality Index? Well, ESG investing is now, um, it's called Environment, Social, and Governance. It's, it's a lens that many investors are using uh, to evaluate their investments. And it was initially started by a number of labor organizations and environmental organizations. Labor organizations that wanted to ensure that companies did the right thing and were not manufacturing their products um, using individuals in, in, in slave-like conditions, far, part, far corners of the world, and making sure that, that consumers knew where those products were coming from to make sure that people were treated ethically and fairly. Similarly, a lot of the environmental organizations are concerned about things like carbon footprint and, and sustainability and water usage and others, and now measure companies based on how, what kind of stewards they are of the environment. So making and calling out companies that, you know, despoil the, the environment and ruin the environment for sake of profit, et cetera. And it's through these efforts that they've been able to, uh, you know, get companies, honestly, to, to try to do the right thing by raising awareness of companies and their business practices. So now, of course, ESG has become, um, uh, you know, ubiquitous around Wall Street and investors, um, you know, not just because, you know, it's again, it's the right thing to do. People want to know, are, are companies sustainable? Do they pay their workers a fair wage, et cetera? But, they, uh, but because these investors who invest in these companies um, actually are outperforming. Um, so that's the reason why we wanted to make disability part of that conversation. Um, this conversation, for example, on um, uh, corporate governance and corporate boards. You know, you and I grew up, Joyce, in a time where, you know, our corporate boards were led by all, you know, 60-year-old white men, right? And we know now 
um, that, you know, no corporation now would think about doing business that had all white men on their board. And, and, and efforts have been made to expand board diversity to include people of color and women, et cetera. Again, not because it's the right thing to do from an equality perspective, but because they've shown that corporate boards with, that have a higher percentage of women on their corporate board actually do better than than other company boards. So it's a situation where there's a double bottom line. You expand opportunities for marginalized groups and you make uh, more money at the same time. So what we've been trying to do is kind of take a page out of some of these other groups, uh, ethnic minorities, um, gender um uh, uh, minorities, individuals who identify as LGBTQ+, who've also been successful at, at incorporating um, uh, their issues into the corporate marketplace and, and, and basically saying that individuals with disabilities should also be considered uh, as a minority group and should be considered in all diversity and inclusion practices that are being undertaken now by, you know, global enterprises. Yeah, so what that means is that if if uh, it would be as if you just were citing this, a corporation, hmm, uh, whether it was pollution from the plant, whatever it would be, they're going to, investors are going to notice if it's terrible. They're not doing anything about it. Why would they want to invest in that company? No one wants to invest in a company where all of a sudden they're on CNN, you know, with some terrible thing that has happened at that corporation. And if they are looking now at the disability, equality, or equity at companies, that is going to make a difference because, Ted, that goes to the board, right? That that goes to the top. Well, I think, you know, it's not just shareholders, as I mentioned. You know, we have we have uh, uh, pension funds such as CalSTRS, the large uh, California teachers pension fund and New York Common. These are two of the largest pension funds in the United States, some of the largest pension funds in the world, okay? And they are calling on corporate America to do more to expand disability inclusion, again, because they believe that it's going to impact the returns of their pension funds. But I think there's another important point, and that is for people with disabilities themselves. People with disabilities in the United States represent 60 million Americans, and there's over 1 billion, with a B, 1 billion people with disabilities around the world. People with disabilities have, um, you know, can make decisions about what toothpaste they buy, what airline they fly on, where they want to do their banking, what restaurant they go on, what hotel do they stay at. All of these questions are the reason why a lot of these companies are now want to become, if you go on to a Delta Airlines jet in the United States of America right now, and you walk down the jetway, uh, you know, emblazoned on the side of the fuselage as you board that Delta plane is the Disability Equality Index logo. And they say, we're one of the best airlines for people with disabilities. They're doing that because they know that people with disabilities fly and their family members fly. And they want to be among the top choices for, for, uh, you know, for, um, for individuals with disabilities. So I think I'm just using that as one example. Uh, there are many, many examples, but... But, you know, companies now know that, you know, where people buy their coffee and all of these questions, people with disabilities are, 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 are better informed and better organized than, we, than we've ever been. And it's not just around election time where, where people are finally asking candidates running for public office, what are you going to do? Uh, to expand opportunities for people with disabilities. You know, no one asked candidates uh, those questions 10, 10 years ago. No candidates 
were asked those questions. Now, somebody running for office, um, you know, and I encourage your listeners, you know, if there's if you're whether it's running for a state representative, the mayor of a municipality or a member of Congress, ask that person, what are you going to do to help advance disability rights? And if we don't ask that question, uh, who is? And so we need to also be asking corporations those questions. What are you doing to expand opportunities for people with disabilities? And thankfully, some companies are doing it on their own. They recognize that people with disabilities represent a huge untapped marketplace, that there's a uh, and, and want to make sure that they're doing the right thing. And people, by the way, Joyce, and you know this, they want to work for companies who are, are they know are, are doing the right thing. They do, no one wants to work for a company that has a terrible reputation, okay? We all want to go to work and affiliate ourselves with companies that we know at the end of the day stand for something. And they stand for equality. They stand for justice. Um, and, and I think that that's another thing that I think especially younger workers, but not just younger workers, older workers, too, want to go to work every day for a company that is, that is doing the right thing, that shares their values about, about not just disability, but on environmental issues and, and other justice issues as well. Yes. And. And, you know, you mentioned about younger people, the Gen Zs. Let me tell you, when they're making a career move now, it's just what you said. Suddenly, uh, social issues have become so much more important when young people are making that career change. You know, adults also, but in studies they've done recently, it isn't just the money. It's what are you doing you know what 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 are you doing for the united states when it comes to helping people who are marginalized or other other uh you know other areas that you're working in but one is looking at the diversity at a company that has become a big thing looking at the diversity at a company and sometimes people will tell me oh yes we've hired all these people with disabilities which they have because many people whether it's epilepsy depression ms diabetes cancer i could go on and on are working at companies they just aren't disclosing they have a disability for fear of being treated differently but i also say to companies well, how many wheelchairs do you see at the company? How many people do you see signing? You know, how many service dogs do you see? How, how many accessible parking lots are filled, spaces are filled in front of your building? So we have to embrace that people with disabilities want to work can contribute. It's all about the business. It's what Ted's talking about. It's the business investment. That's what makes the difference. That's why the high rate of uh, retention for people with disabilities, it's not because they're superhuman. It's because they've been left out. I don't care who the group is. If you've been left out and you get the chance to work it's like a treasure. So the DEI, the work with the investment community, all of this, I believe, is going to make a difference. And you know, Ted, the DEI was started in a partnership between AAPD and Disability Inn. They worked together to create the DEI. Absolutely. Well, the first thing that we needed to do when we, before we created the DEI, Companies really didn't know what to do. Even companies that wanted to do the right thing were not sure of exactly what we were talking about when we said, you know, how to make a, a, a company more inclusive of people with disabilities. So what we did is we set out to create, you know, the best practices, and that's all on the Disability In website. Is uh, and if you Google Disability Equality Index, you can find it. Um, the best practices for corporate America, 
And it's not just, um, you know, of course, you know, architectural accessibility, but it goes straight to the top, the commitment of the organization um, and goes into other things um, like the uh, supplier diversity and ensuring that uh, companies, um, you know, will employ uh, disability owned business enterprises and their in their vendor relationships for different services that they outsource, et cetera. So it's it really is an important way for individuals with disabilities to get their foot in the door and to show that they really can do the job. Yeah. And and with that disability quality index, uh, companies are certified, as you said, it's a benchmarking tool that shows or demonstrates the commitment across the board of inclusivity for the disability community, you know, at corporations. You also, Ted, you have the investment community now you talked about, which I think you have like a trillion dollars in investments. Is that correct? We have three trillion dollars of investment. We have um, over 30 international um, companies and pension plans, many of the largest pension plans in the United States and around the world, and many faith-based investors, um, you know, such as the United Church of Christ and many Catholic organizations um, and other, you know, who have, you know, very large pools of investable assets who are now, um, you know, want to make sure that their investment dollars are not going to companies that perpetuate discrimination against people with disabilities. They They want to ensure that their money is clean and that is actually going to promote uh, their their causes that they believe in, because many of these organizations, um, you know, uh, uh, many of them are, um, a- again, faith based groups, et cetera, that are, you know, fight for equality and justice. They don't want to turn around and have their money, their their retirement money uh, invested in companies that are trying to undermine the very work that they do all day long. So um, they look to the Disability Equality Index to help identify the leading companies. And, um, and, and it's really, it has not been that hard, um, Joyce, because, you know, many corporate leaders understand intuitively what we're trying to do, which is why um, we now have over 150 CEOs um, who have signed on to a, a CEO letter um, to uh, ask other companies and encourage other companies to do what they've been doing, which is to make sure that when you're recruiting for a, a job, that you can all you you don't screen out you know individuals with disabilities, and that you actively proactively go out and seek you know high quality applicants with disabilities. So. Um, so these these folks are not doing it because they're it's some kind of you know a political campaign that they're doing or they're all um, you know uh, progressive uh, political progressives. They're doing it because we have individuals who are involved who come from a wide variety of different political viewpoints. Okay, they're doing it because they all agree that uh, making your company more inclusive. Um, is is good for business. I agree. I agree. And listen, for all of you listening to the show right now, everyone knows, people that know me, there's no gray. It's black or white. That's how I am. And I don't always say this, but I'm going to tell you, Ted Kennedy Jr. is part of history making a difference because I can assure you, I do not remember a time in my life prior to when Ted started this whole initiative, which is investment, of going to an event and seeing CEOs up on, you know, the stage saying, oh, yes, our corporation is committed 
to the DEI. I mean, it is unbelievable when I meet either a CEO or someone from the C-suite and they say to me, Joyce, you know, we scored 100 on the DEI. I, I mean, it's amazing to hear that. And I believe that if we keep pushing this enough, that finally we will start seeing employment, which is the goal of all of this. As Ted said, every time I think, 33 years ago, the ADA was signed. How the heck can we still be with 70% of people with disabilities not counted in the workforce? I mean, Ted, when you think about that, what, what do you think? Like, why do you think that is? Well, I think um, the reason, Joyce, is that there's still a lot of stigma and attitudinal barriers about people with disabilities. You know, we grew up, we talked about 1975, you know, it was possible to go to school and never encounter another classmate with a disability. Um, You know, kids with disabilities are, are frequently educated in separate institutions. They ride on separate buses. Uh, there's, you know, uh, not everywhere, but in many places, you know, that's the reality for people with disabilities. And also, you know, we had a very low expectation, quite honestly. If you were somebody with a disability, there were no role models to point to. Of course, we had President Roosevelt, who was elected, you know, president of the United States. But you know, by most historical accounts, he tried to hide the fact that he had a wheelchair, used a wheelchair because he didn't want people to think that he was incapable, right, of running the United States of America. But, you know, plus there were kids with disabilities who were, who were basically learned at a young age, well, there's really not the, the, there was no expectation that you would go to school and get a job and get married and live in your own apartment and, you know, all of that and have children, right? Uh, So many people with disabilities never really thought of themselves as being, you know, potentially successful people, right? So there's a lot that we need to do to both empower individuals with disabilities, but also address a lot of the stigma and attitudinal barriers that 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 people still have about, well, how could this person possibly do a job, uh, you know, with a disability? You know, that's what people think. And so I think once people become a part of the workforce and once a company starts to hire a handful of people with disabilities, a lot of those uh, stereotypes go out the window. But we know we're working on a, a long, we're, we're playing a long-term game here. And that is that, you know, the more we can see, the more we can work with, for example, big media companies and show, um, you know, individuals with disabilities depicted in television shows and movies and others that are not these objects of charity or not these poor, helpless people, but actually, you know, engaged, powerful, smart, capable people um, you know, we're, we're, it's going to take a while to shift our society, but it is shifting. I feel it. And, um, and I think that's what, that's, what's going to happen in the years ahead. Yes. That's, uh, that barrier that has to come down is attitudinal. There is no doubt about it. You know, people with disabilities, it's still, many people see this medical model and, it's hard to believe they still see that, but we are no longer in medical model. We never were. We are people, just part of society. We have pride. That is why there is this thing called disability pride. But you're right in how people think, but I believe we will change that. You know, I am the eternal optimist. Uh, I want to say, though, to every company listening to the show right now, When you say, what can I do? What can I do to try to be more inclusive? Hire someone. That's how you start. It's not just all this um, awareness, awareness, seminars, awareness. 
Employment. That's where the rubber meets the road. Hire someone. Hire someone. That's what makes the difference. So, Ted, I'm going to guess that I, well, maybe I'll be wrong. I have an idea. We'll see, though. Um, who Who is your role model? You are many people's role model. But who is your role model? Well, look, I get inspiration from people every single day, Joyce. Um, you know, I, I have to say that my role model is probably my father, who, um, you know, really taught me um, to persevere, was such a good, um, who really cared about people, and um, who was a really good listener. You know, um, my father, the late Senator Kennedy, um, was, of course, the liberal lion of the Senate in Washington, D.C., served there for almost 50 years. Um, but yet he was the first one to try to, um, you know, cross the aisle. And and he believed in in um, in collaboration with many of his Senate colleagues, John McCain, Warren Hatch. The list goes on and on where he would collaborate. And I'm not sure whether that style is really in vogue today. The idea that you would work together um, with somebody that you might get, not get along with politically, but that you share a common interest in trying to solve a problem. Um, you know, unfortunately, we live in a different time now. But I think that um, uh, uh, the ability to listen and put yourself in another person's shoes um, and listen to people that have a different political viewpoint of yours. Um, I think that is a really important skill that we all need to learn from today. I saw a news segment once with your father and Orrin Hatch and Senator Hatch, and that's what it was about, is here are these two men totally, you know, other side of the uh, uh Field when it comes to political views, and yet after debating in Senate, uh, you know, espousing their idea very defiantly, then they left and they went out and they were friends. That is sadly not how it is today, but that is to me an example of great statesmen or women when it is bipartisan, because how the heck are we getting anything done? if it isn't that way. But I remember seeing that, and I know your father uh, was known for that. And thank goodness I had, on more than one occasion, the honor of meeting him. You certainly uh, would make him proud when it comes to disability, uh, Ted, because you are following in his footsteps. Well, you know, let's remember that the ADA was signed into law by President Bush, right? And, you know, uh, and championed by people like Bob Dole, who was one of the founders of AAPD, um, and Lowell Weicker, and so many other Republicans and senators who came together on this issue. Um, so I think that... Um, you know, now I I don't know whether we could get the ADA passed today, honestly, Joyce, because of the makeup and uh, and the and the and the nature of Congress and politics, right? Um, so I'm really grateful that we were able to pass the ADA when we did, uh, and it was the result of um, people of goodwill coming together and passing a great piece of legislation because disability, as you know, knows no, uh, political party or economic or religious, uh, boundary. It can happen to anyone. And we started the program talking about the Kennedy family and our uh, commitment to disability. And the fact is, is that, you know, it's impacted, you know, my family in a very personal way just as it has so many other families around the United States and around the world. And that's what gives us the kinship um, and relationships that we can build upon our mutual interest in alleviating the unfairness 
uh, and advancing equality for everyone. Those are ideas that transcend politics, in my view. Yes, I, I agree with you. I, a, a example of that is how many of you spoke at the Thornburg Lecture Series. I mean, Governor Thornburg, Republican, worked with so many uh, Democrats. And it's amazing how people that care about these issues don't care if their uh, political background is different. It's it's amazing. Uh, and I, I hope it becomes like that again. But <clears throat> right now, no, I don't think the ADA would be signed. So sad to say that. Uh, but to all of my listeners, I want to encourage young people listening to the show to consider going into politics because that's what we need. We need young people with disabilities going into politics, running for office, getting out there. Uh, don't you agree with that, Ted? I do. I think that people with disabilities should, you know, run for office, whether it's the school board or a municipal office or a national office. Um, we we need to, you know, we need to become engaged in every aspect of American life. Well, Ted, thank you so much for uh, being with us today. It means so much to me and to everyone else that you would take time to be our guest today. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show, Joyce, and I look, look forward to working with you. Um, in, in the years ahead uh, to achieve our goal of equality and equal opportunity for people with disabilities. You, you've got me. You can't get rid of me now, Ted. We've been friends for a See long you. time. See you soon, Joyce. Thanks for having me on your program. Oh, wait a minute. I got to end the show with a quote. We end every show with a quote. And that quote today is... Disability only becomes a tragedy when society fails to provide the things we need to live our lives, said Judy Human. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters at voiceamerica.com. In the words of Mary Brocker, go out today and choose joy. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. We are the leader in live Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.